Well, I wonder, uh, we'll just uh, read another one of these. Um, look, turn over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. And we'll just read from verse 28 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 12. Beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked them, which is the first commandment of all. And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man durst ask him any questions. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we thank thee for the opportunity of meeting with thee tonight afresh. We thank thee for the instruction that we have given or we've read in thy precious word. We thank thee, Lord, for the uh, gracious sight of our Savior that looked upon poor, guilty wretches of sinners and drew them unto himself. And, o God, we pray that it might be the case that there may be those who will turn to thee tonight and that they might find the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Be with us in every way. Bless the going forth of thy word, for it is in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wondered what it must have been like to look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ? His eyes were eyes of indisputable compassion, but they were also eyes of fiery judgment. You can well imagine that as the eyes of the Lord Jesus fell upon you, you would have um, experienced his piercing into the soul, and he could see men and women in the dark, far away, even in the future. What amazing eyes the Lord Jesus had. They were the eyes of God. And all through the Gospels, we find the uh, sight of the Lord Jesus often emphasized. Over and over again, we have the words that Jesus saw, or Jesus beheld him, or Jesus looked at him. And there are 60 such references, actually, in the New Testament. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to through all of the 60 of them. But what I want to do tonight is just take a representative sample of these passages where you have the sight of the Savior and as he looks upon men and women. And you know, it was invariably the case that when the Lord Jesus looked at someone, there was a change that took place. Something happened 
in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that the Lord might look upon you, not in the physical way, uh, but in the spiritual tonight, that you might know that the Lord and his eyes are upon you as you sit in this meeting. We know that he draws near where two or three are met together in his name. There he is in the midst. And all that God might come near to you, that you might uh, behold our Savior. Look into the eyes of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So very simply tonight, what we're thinking about is the eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And first of all, I want you to turn with me to the passage that we read there in Luke chapter 19. And here we're going to look at what I'm going to call the forgiving eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at Luke chapter 19, you'll see that it is the story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And the name Zacchaeus means pure, and he had a good name, but he had a bad reputation because he was a publican or a tax collector. And the tax collectors in those days were known to be rogues and scoundrels. They often overcharged the people and pocketed the extra that they charged. And so they were despised by the people, and they were counted as the lowest of the low. And they were corrupt, and not only were they corrupt, but they were servants of the Roman government. And the Roman government was the occupying force in those days, and so there was a double hostility to these men. And the tax collectors were frequently uh, labeled by the Jews as among the lowest of the low. There were publicans and sinners. They were a special category all of their own. And there was a hatred uh, towards the publicans in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we find that the Lord Jesus enters into Jericho. And it's obvious here, the way that the story is set up, that the Lord is entering into Jericho in order to meet one of these tax collectors. In, order, in other words, he's there to meet Zacchaeus. Look at the opening verse of Luke 19. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And then it says about Zacchaeus that he wanted to see Jesus. It says, that He ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree, to see him, for he was to pass that way. Uh, and so, here's a man who wants to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's an interest in the Savior. He wants to have a, a, a sight of this miracle worker. He's probably heard about what miracles the Lord has done, and so there's a curiosity that is kindled in his heart. Now, we don't know that there's anything more than a curiosity, Maybe it's just that this is a celebrity is passing by and uh, much the same way as uh, when the king was in Hillsborough that we went to see the king and he was just passing by and that's about as much as you saw. And maybe it was the same as Zacchaeus. He was just there to see the master, the king of kings and lord of lords passing by and that's as much interest as he had. But I want you to see that as the Lord Jesus passed by, it says in verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him 
and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And so the Lord Jesus goes to this guilty, hated sinner and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to abide at thy house. And I want you to see that the look of the Savior, it says that he uh, saw him. Uh, he says he looked up and he saw him. And it's a gracious look. Here is this man. And the Lord Jesus obviously has the specific purpose of seeking out Zacchaeus. Not because he was holy, because he was wicked. Not because there was anything in him. But because the Lord had set his affection upon this man. And we know that Zacchaeus, his name is now written in the Lamb's book of life. Because when the Lord came to look at Zacchaeus, it was a forgiving look. And the Lord came to deal with the sin of this awful individual. And the mission of the Lord Jesus was not to seek and make men well fed that were hungry, although that was part of it too. But his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. It was a gracious look. But also, it is a commanding look. Because you'll notice that when the Lord looked at this man, he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. This was Zacchaeus' moment. This was the greatest moment of his life. And by necessity, the Lord had ordained that he would meet this man. And we think of how, uh, how often when the Lord Jesus came to meet people and invited them, uh, where they were to invite him into their house, things happened. We think about the disciples in John chapter 1 and verse 37. It says, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw, and he dwelt, uh, and abode with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And when those men went to abide with the Lord Jesus Christ, and when they broke bread, Andrew and the other disciple were able to say, We have found the Messiah. We have found the one that the Bible speaks about. We have found the one that is promised, the one who is to be the deliverer and the saviour. We have found him. And they went to abide at his house. And here is the Lord Jesus promising to abide at Zacchaeus' house. And I want you to see it's a pitying, pitying command. Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Dear friend, Oh, that the Lord would draw near to you, that the Lord would come and abide with you. You know, when the Lord comes into our life, he comes to abide. He comes to take control of the heart. He comes to change things in your life. And my dear friend, that the Lord in his pity and his mercy might come to abide with you. Dear, what a, a transformation that will be in your life. And you notice not only is it a pitying command, but it is a pressing command. I must abide at thy house. The Greek word there is a word that just means it is necessary. I must. With another time, the Bible says that the Lord must needs go through Samaria. And he was there to meet a woman. 
And he must come because there is something that's going to be done, something that was foreordained in eternity itself. He must come to meet with Zacchaeus. And maybe tonight, dear friend, this is the day, this is the night when the Lord must come and meet with you. And he says, I must abide. And he must because otherwise Zacchaeus will perish. Otherwise, Zacchaeus will go down into a lost eternity. And unless the Lord meets you, it'll be the same in your life. It's a pressing command. It's a personal command. Zacchaeus, come down. I don't know how, uh, maybe you wonder how the Lord knew the name of Zacchaeus, but the Lord knows all things. The Lord is the omniscient God. He created Zacchaeus, and he knows every star by name. And he knew this name, man by name. And sometimes the Lord just comes and speaks to you by name. It's a personal word. It's like Saul in the road of, to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is the Lord speaking to you by name? He knows your name. You think of Nathaniel under the fig tree. And the Lord said to him, before that he, uh, he, he, he knew where he was. He was under the fig tree. And it's the same with Zacchaeus. He's up a sycamore tree. And the Lord knows exactly where you are and where you are as far as your soul is concerned. He knows about the problems. He knows about the misery. He knows about all things. He seeks and saves that which is lost. But it is not only a gracious look and a, uh, a uh, look of uh, forgiveness, but it is a uh, merciful look here. He, he, uh, it's a delivery look. He looked at the man here with the intention of doing something about it. If you look at Luke chapter uh, 10 and uh, verse 19, we read about the Lord Jesus, and he comes uh, and he says to his disciples, and into whatsoever house ye enter first, peace be upon this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And then in the same house for me, eating and drinking, such things as you give you, for the labor is worthy of his hire. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, each such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. So the Lord said to his disciples, When you go into a house, he says, Eat what they give you. And then he was saying, Deal with their problems, and say, The kingdom of God is nigh you. He's, he says, When you enter into a house, eat what they give you, and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, preach the gospel. And that's, we're, not, we're not told what the Lord Jesus does in Zacchaeus' house, or not very much about it, but we know that that's what he did. He went in and he had fellowship with Zacchaeus, and they preached the gospel. And we find that Zacchaeus heard the gospel, and the Lord's able to say to him in verse 9, This day is salvation come to this house. My, what a transformation it was. As the Lord came and looked at as Zacchaeus that day, it was a look of forgiveness. It was a look of mercy. Dear friend, that the Lord might come to you and he might uh, deal with your sin. 
We see Zacchaeus, he says later that the half of his goods he'll give to the poor. He's transformed by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the forgiving uh, eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to come to the focused eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back now to Luke chapter 9, to the other portion uh, that we read there. And here's the Lord again coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. If you look at verses 38 and 39, it says, And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruised him, hardly departeth from him. Here's the incident of the boy with the dumb spirit, and the disciples are not able to cast the dumb spirit out, and the father is in despair, and he comes and he says to the Lord, Look upon my son. Now in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, when the Lord Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, it says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning them. So the eyesight of the Lord Jesus, first of all, beholds the great multitude. And then the man comes, and he says to the Lord Jesus, Look upon my son. And the eyesight of the Lord Jesus then is focused. First of all, it's upon the multitude. Now it becomes focused upon this boy that's in need, the, the one that is tormented with the dumb spirit. And we see it is the focused sight of understanding. As the eyes of the Lord Jesus fall upon this boy, he understands the need. He understands what's happening. He knows that this boy is uh, dealing with a demon, an evil spirit, who caused him to foam at the mouth and uh, throws him on the ground and has torn him and at times he's tearing himself. And the Lord looks upon him with the spiritual understanding. And whereas the disciples had not been able to deal with this uh, dumb spirit, the, the Lord immediately knows what is wrong in the heart. Maybe, dear friend, in your life, there are many things wrong, and you find that nobody else can understand. Nobody else can tell you there are many things that are going on in your life, and nobody else is able to see the deepness of the need. Nobody really understands where you are and what place you're at. It looks as if nobody can just fathom the depths of what is going through your mind and in your heart. But I want you to see that when the Lord Jesus Christ focuses attention, and of course his attention is always focused because he is the omniscient God. And when he focuses attention upon you, he looks upon you with the eye of understanding. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows things about you that you don't know. And we think of how here is the Lord and he looks upon this this boy with the eyes of understanding. Oh, the Lord understands. You know, maybe you can say to the preacher, Yeah, preacher, you don't understand me. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the things that I've been through. Well, that may well be very true. But I'm commending you to one who knows. 
who knows the deepness of your need, who knows all that you've been through. He knows all about you. This was the focus site of understanding, but it was also the focus site of power. Because while the Lord Jesus understood what this boy had gone through and all about him and his deepness, the depth of his need, the Lord was able to say, bring him hither to me. And when they brought this boy to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was able to save the boy. He was able to deal with the dumb spirit. He cast him out. And we think of the mighty power of God to save. Wherefore, he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. And he's able to save because he's the God-man. He's the mediator. He's able to save because of his work on the cross of Calvary. He's able to see, save because he's borne the sins of men and women in his own body on the tree. He's able to save because he's all power in heaven and on earth that is given to him. He is able to save. And as he looks upon you tonight, he not only understands, but he's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. We see the focused eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to see the far-sighted eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to the third uh, portion that we read there, Mark chapter 12, and look at verse 34 in particular. It says, of the, the Lord says about the man that he's speaking this, man is one of the scribes, and he's come questioning the Lord Jesus, and the scribe agrees with the answer of the Lord, and it says, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. So here's the Lord Jesus, and he sees the heart of this man. He sees what way he's answered. He says he's answered discreetly. He's answered prudently. And I want you to see that the Lord is looking at this man, and he saw with comprehension, again with understanding, he saw this man and he sees that this man is up, uh, he's upstanding, he is, uh, he's not a hypocrite, he is, uh, he's a man who has a singleness of heart, if we put it like that. Like, look that. But look at what the Lord uh, says. We read about the question of the man, what is the great first commandment of all? And Look at the Lord's answer in verses 29 to 31. The Lord said, And first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Wonder, do you do that? Do you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. But look at the scribe's reaction in verse 32 and 33. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole bird offerings and sacrifices. And then the Lord says, that he saw that he answered discreetly. Now, you'll see the way that the man answers, and you'll see that he realized that 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, your love and neighbor as yourself, is better than sacrifices and burnt offerings. In other words, what this man is recognizing is that religion is not enough. That to go through the rituals of religion with the sacrifices and the offerings and the burnt sacrifices, he says that uh, to love the Lord your, your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength is better than all of these. So here's a man and the Lord says to him, they're not far from the kingdom of God. And that's why. Because he recognized that religion is not something of the outward going through rituals and sacrifices and offerings. He knew that it was a matter of the heart. Now it's a fun, pretty fundamental realization. That's a pretty fundamental discovery that this man has made. That it's not to do with the outward religion. It's not to do with the ceremonies that you go through. It's to do with the heart. Do you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? That's the thing. And here's a a man who recognizes the practices of religion are not enough. Sacrifice and offering are not enough. We think of what it says in Hebrews 10 and 8. Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin. Thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Outward religion is not good enough. It's got to be in the heart. Your heart has got to be right with God. And this man, this scribe, recognizes that. And that's why he's not far from the kingdom of God. I wonder, do you recognize that? You've got to have a new nature. That the the love of God has got to be in your heart and soul. And the only way that that can happen is by the new birth. But not only does the Lord see something of this man's comprehension, but he sees something of his candor. This man's open. This man's honest. He's candid as he answers here. He's not like many others that came and questioned the Lord just as a matter of trying to catch the Lord out in order to try and uh, make a trap for the Lord. But here's a man who is open in his questioning. He's an open heart. And the Lord is recognizing that as well. He's not coming with prejudice. He's not coming with a heart that is already made up. Many people come to gospel meetings and their mind is already made up. They're already, uh, as it were, prejudiced against the Lord and against, and there's a resistance that's there. There doesn't seem to be that resistance here. He says that the uh, Lord had, he says, well, master, Thou hast said the truth. I wonder tonight if you'll see, say the same. Because the Lord not only recognizes this man's comprehension and his candor, but he recognizes his confession. He says, Lord, what you're saying is the truth. We think of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth, Lord. That's why he's not far from the kingdom of heaven. He recognizes the truth. It's not in yet. He hasn't, as it were, by faith, submitted to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're not told in the Gospels what he did. He's not in yet. But he's not far. And the Lord sees that. And maybe tonight as the Lord looks at you, 
he sees that you're not far. You know that this is the truth. But then I want you to see something else. I want you to see the fiery eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Revelation chapter 1. And here we have the um, depiction, the vision that John has of the Ancient of Days, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he sees him, there's a description of the Lord. But just for the sake of time, we're going to look at verse 15. It says, and his, uh, or verse 14, His head and his hairs were white as wool, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. So here's the Lord and his eyes. Now he is the glorified, exalted Savior. He's not here in his first coming, but this is his second coming. And his eyes are as a flame of fire. Now we think of the dazzling eyes there. The fiery eyes of the Savior speak of the splendor, the brilliance of our Savior. We think of the shining glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of how each eye is a very flame of fire. He's holy. He's glorious. Uh, the eye uh, flame speaks of that which burns up. And we think of holiness. And we think of uh, his exaltation here. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lo lords. We see the dazzling eyes. But also you see the discriminating eyes. And you see the steady gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. And fire, of course, speaks of uh, judgment. His eyes are a flame of fire. We remember Nathaniel and Philip uh, told him about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And uh, Nathaniel uh, despised Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Daniel, or out of Galilee, rather? And later, the Lord Jesus showed Nathaniel that he had seen him uh, before he had physically seen him. He was seen him when he was hiding in the fig tree. And fire represents the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day we'll stand before the Lord. And if you stand before him in your sin, you'll not see the dazzling glory and splendor of the eyes, but they will be eyes of judgment gazing upon you. Those supernatural lasers penetrating right through with holy intelligence, revealing everything that he sees. We think of Hagar, who knew the Lord as El Roy, the Lord that seeth me. And he sees you. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 23, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in a saint, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Dear friend, we need to recognize that all things are open and naked before him tonight. He sees you. But one more thing I want you to see, and we're going to call this the fearful eyesight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back now to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, and I want you to look at verses 61 and 62. And there we read about Peter after the Peter had uh, mocked, or, or rather denied, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 61, The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, 
And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What kind of look did the Lord Jesus turn upon Peter? Peter had denied him. The Lord had been arrested. Now he is in the high priest's palace, and they're arraigning him, and they want to put him to death. And many of the disciples had forsaken him and fled. Peter has denied him. The Lord had told Peter that before the cock would crow, uh, that he would deny him thrice. And when Peter had just denied him the third time, we read that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Was it a look of disappointment? Was it a look of accusation? Maybe it was just a look of love. And the love that was in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ melted the heart of Peter. And it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. And the Lord looked at Peter and my, what a reaction it brought within the heart of Peter. It was a look of conviction of sin. Whatever it was, whether it was a look of accusation or a look of disappointment or just a look of love, we know that it had an effect upon the heart of Peter. And Peter realized what he had done, how he had despised his Savior, how he had turned his back upon the one with whom he had been associated and in conviction that melts the heart, he begins to weep and he begins to cry. Oh, dear friend, oh, that the Lord would look upon you and that you might have that conviction of sin. But then, not only was it a look of conviction of sin, but it's a, a look that brought about the cessation of his sin. Because when the Lord looked at Peter, he stopped denying him. He stopped in his track. There he was in the middle of denying the Lord Jesus. And when the Lord looked at him, Peter immediately stopped what he had doing. My, what a shock that the Lord had called him out. You know, when we realize that the Lord sees all that we do, know all that, he, that we have done, my, what a shock it is. And what the Lord wants to do as he looks upon you tonight is that you would stop and turn from your sin and turn in repentance to him. It was a look of cessation, but also it was a look that brought contrition because Peter wept. And he, he wept, wept the hot tears of contrition and repentance here. And they were not just tears of remorse, but there was a change in Peter's behavior and he went out to serve the Lord. My, as the Lord looked upon Peter, it was a, a look that transformed the heart of this man and brought him to the place where he served the Savior. I wonder tonight, as the Lord looks upon you, what does he see? Does he see the heart that is seeking the Lord, a heart that wants to worship our God, a heart that needs forgiveness of sin, what does the Lord see as he looks at you? Is it a look of accusation? Is it a look maybe of confrontation? Maybe it's a look just of love. As the Lord looks upon you, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord looks tonight. He sees, he beholds. What does he see? 
as he looks in your heart right now. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank Thee for Thy precious Word. We do thank Thee for the look of the Savior. We can say like the hymn writer, there's life for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. We're, we're, we're uh, able, Lord, tonight uh, to know the very vision of the Savior. And we thank Thee that it is a grace that draws us nigh to Thee and grace that brings the Savior nigh to us. Bless us now, we pray of Thee. Write Thy word upon our hearts, and we pray that precious souls might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that Thou wouldst speak to every heart. Bless us now, separate us in Thy fear, and with Thy blessing take us to our homes in safety. Watch over us and be with us, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen.